Hi everyone, welcome to episode 7 on the Don't Tell God podcast. My name is Alicia and I'm the host. Now, in case you don't know, the purpose of this podcast is to give pastors and leaders a platform to be genuine and open about life, faith and ministry. Now, a new episode arrives the first Thursday of the month, so if you don't want to miss out on an episode, make sure you follow this podcast on whatever platform you listen to, and feel free to follow me on Instagram at Don't Tell God. Now, on today's episode, I um, I interview Steve Preston, who is the director for WEC Australia. Now, if you don't know what or who WEC is in, in regards to an organization, that's okay. Steve will talk about that um, during the interview. Now, Steve was really good to interview and he had a lot of wisdom, a lot of like real gold nuggets in regards to being a missionary. He shares about his life as a missionary. Uh, He talks about how when he was in Spain, that's where he was a missionary at, he uh, really focused on building relationships and connecting with those around him. He also spoke about coming back to Australia, how he suffered reverse culture shock and also his personal battle with depression. Enjoy this episode and I really hope you get a lot from it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for being on this podcast. I appreciate it. Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Hopefully, I'm not wrong, but uh, you're the national director for WEC Australia. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that role and w- what you do? And maybe also about WEC, because I don't think many people know much about WEC. Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, good question. <laughs> so, WEC, uh, W E C, uh, stands for Worldwide evangelization for Christ. It's a question I often get asked because it's not uh, in some circles not uh, so well known. So that's what it represents, those three letters. And essentially we are an interdenominational, multicultural uh, organization which was founded in 1913 by a famous English cricketer called C.T. Studd. Um, He actually played in the Ashes series. And so, so quite a few people know that name through cricket. Uh, he was from a very wealthy family in the UK. He came into significant inheritance and essentially he gave that away for the work of um, the Lord, different charities, um, Moody Bible College in Chicago and, and amongst other things. He was a, a real visionary and essentially his heart was to take the gospel to those least reached areas of the world, even even 100 plus years back. Uh, That was what drove him. He went to China first, then spent time there, India, and subsequently the Lord led him to the Congo, to the heart of Africa. And it was in the Congo where WEC was birthed, if you like, in 1913, where he was able to focus on these unreached peoples and that has been continued to be the heart of WEC throughout these 108, 107 years, where our people, uh, not exclusively, but for the most part, are people who who work cross culturally in in those countries where the church is uh, either non-existent or small, where there are people groups that have never heard of Jesus. So that's essentially the heartbeat of WEC. They're, probably be around 2,000 members internationally from perhaps 80 to 90 countries. So uh, quite a, you can see just in that, the the variety, (laughs) the multicultural. Yeah, definitely. Of the organization. And and we even have that here in Australia um, as well. So, and yeah, as you said, my role, uh, it's actually a 
a, a co-role with my wife. We work together as okay. national directors, and that's not uncommon in work where the husband and wife do work together if that's possible for them. And so we, uh, in a sense, split that role, although I probably work just a little bit more, uh, a few more hours than she does because yeah. of family commitments and yeah. things like that. No, that's fair enough. So how, how long have you been in WEC um, altogether? Sure. Joined in 1999, so 20 years. And 20 years, yeah, wow. It was the following year that we went overseas, which I think you might ask me about. Yeah, no, no, definitely. <laughs> and so I just want to touch more about, you know, your European adventure, if you know you can put it Ooh, that way. So uh, Spain, correct? Oh. You did your, uh, you, you were a missionary in there. Was it just Spain or did you do other European countries as well? It was just Spain. Just Spain. And so you, you don't have any Spanish backgrounds, uh, Press. It's not like you could speak Spanish before you left. So wh- why Spain? Oh, like, yeah, no, no, you're right. We, we, we had uh, a few months of Spanish with a, a lady in Melbourne, a Spanish lady. And we thought, yeah, we're, we're all primed. We're, we're ready, ready to go. Yeah. We got there and probably after about a week, we thought, hey, this is we've just covered everything <laughs> in what we covered in six months. And we felt like um, babies again, just starting off learning to speak. Yeah, so... Um, why Spain? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, just probably from what I highlighted before about, oh, look, you know, um, spiritually a needy place. Um, yeah. The church in Spain is small. Uh, if, if you find yourself in a church of 60 to 70 and above, that's a, a big church. Wow. Um, yeah, they're pretty small. Most would average 30 to 40. Um so are we talking about, sorry, are we talking about uh, in regards to churches, Protestant or Catholics or altogether? Like what, yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. I should have um, maybe specified. I'm talking about the Protestant church. Protestant, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I know they're very Catholic in yeah, Spain. There's yeah, a, true. There's a history of Roman Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I mentioned before, that's diminishing because of um, the disillusionment with yep. many with the Catholic church. You would still typically find uh, those older people who would uh, regularly go to mass and, f- and believe that that was sufficient for, okay. for essentially for salvation for many of them. Yep. Um, so, and of course the, 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 uh, the priest is the, the one who God has set apart. So what he says goes, yeah. Yep. So, so to be a, to come in as a Protestant or for Spanish people to move away from that um, is a big shift and, and does bring about persecution in yeah. some way, family persecution, rejection. Uh, yeah, not physical persecution. As no. Well, that that happened in the early days. Now okay. it's more social persecution and real pressure on the families to um, no, you hold on to your Catholicism. You are Spanish. You are Catholic. You know. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's a challenge for Protestant missionary missionaries and mission agencies or Christian expats who live in the country. To, yep. Yeah, uh, it takes a long time to, uh, to to build that relationship, to credibility, to then have a voice into their lives. Yeah. And look, um, just, you know, I've known a couple of missionaries and I've heard you speak as well. And one of the things they usually say is that you really kind of, kind of embrace that culture, that you, you can't just come in there from wherever you're from, Australia or in a country, and just say, hey, this is what you need to do. So what did you do to try to embrace that Spanish culture and, you know, try and be accepted from from these people. Yeah, another really good question. I, I the first year or two, 
is devoted, WEC allows that for language learning. So okay. some people think, oh, gee, that's a long time. Can't you speak in six months? Yeah, fluently? <laughs> and yeah, yeah, No, no, it just doesn't work like that. So obviously there's the formal language, but there's also um, we try to uh, develop relationships with Spanish people who wanted to improve their English and, and ah. who wanted to improve our Spanish. They call those intercambio, where you interchange yeah. languages. And we would meet for coffee and re- very relaxed kind of um, set up where we will be able to put into practice what we've been learning in the classroom. Yeah. But it was a language, but it was also a relational relationship building. And, and they were people who I'm really thankful to God for those people who knew their culture so well and would, would love to show us. They're very proud people. They love, yep. they're very, you know, um, friend of mine, Luis, who I still in touch with, he would want to show me all the, you know, this is the oldest restaurant in Spain. And, and this, you know, he was very proud. And so, that all develops over time. So, yeah, through that was an intentional thing we set up in place, those, those interchange of languages. Also, um, uh, just trying to really put ourselves out there and, and that's really hard when you can't speak very well. Yeah. <laughs> you just, oh, man, you know, there's a lot of humility required and um, just you need your sen- sense of humour to laugh at your mistakes and... Um, but that's the only way you learn. And if yeah. I had my time again, I would do that more. I would put myself out. I'd go down to the cafes. They call them bars. So bars here are associated with binge drinking. But that's right. Bars are kind of coffee shops. Coffee so shops, okay. I'd, I would, I'd go down to the bar more and I'd sit and just eavesdrop and kind of try and put, push myself in because I'm a perfectionist and I, I, okay. I would want to get it right before I launched into something. Yep. So, um, so was there a time, and I, look, my answer, I'm assuming it's a yes, but was there a time where, you know, you've been there, let's say, a year, 18 months, two years, you know, you're about to propel and get into this stuff. Did you ever think, nah, I'm going to give up? Like, what, what, was there a time where you said, nah, we, we're going to go home, you spoke to your wife, like, that's it, we've given up? Or, yeah, or were you pretty consistent and faithful all the way? I can honestly say we never got to that stage. There were times we really missed um, just friends, really, relationships. Uh, family, you know, missing out on significant events, yeah. you know. But it was never a sense of let's get on the next plane. And uh, you know, um, I, we really believed that God had called us there. And through the, um, even through the the difficulties, you know, we 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 plugged, we persevered. And so, yeah, there was never that sense of let's give all this up. And even yeah. though at times, I thought, especially the language, it's like, am I ever going to get this? Thing, you know. Goodness me. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people would encourage us and, you know, you'll keep, you know, you'll get there, keep going. And, you know, and I guess too, occasionally, you know, if I'd see a person and then not see them for another month and, that, you know, oh, you know, your language is improving. I can see you. So that would spur us on. Wow. So, so your ministry, so uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you actually, like I know you had to connect with the people who went to the bars, you chatted to them, but once you got fully into the ministry, were you a pastor or what, what was your, your main role there? Because I was yeah. going to say, did you do all your ministry in Spanish? Because that would have been a challenge. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of both, but it was more ministry in Spanish. So okay. we had two years in Madrid learning Spanish, but the the idea was always to go further north of in Spain to the Basque area. Yep. The Basque yep. And they're a totally different people group and, own language or all that that's another story <clears throat> but when we got there we we were to um we worked with a, a small evangelical church and the pastor of that church 
uh, was and still is a full-time policeman with the Basque Police Force. And ah, okay. there would be weekends that he would be rostered on to work on Sunday. So he would say, hey, Steve, you're on preaching. And sometimes he'd do that on a Friday night and give me like a day. Being that perfectionist was was not wow. uh, something I really... But anyway, yes, so yes, um, I mean, that's crazy thinking back now because I, if I tried to get up and preach in Spanish yeah. now, it would just be laughable. But, yeah, I, that was happening and we were Jeez. in small groups and Coralie, my wife, was um, really got a, a kids' ministry established in the church. So, yeah, it was all in Spanish. And so you were there for 20 years, is that correct, um, to Spain? No, 12. Oh, 12 years, so 12 and a half. What would you say would be your your highlight? Like the thing that you're like, you know what, this is all I'm going to remember forever. Um, look, there are many highlights. I, to, to be honest, I think it's the relationship. So it's yeah. um, that privilege to be able to really connect in with people from another culture and for them to accept us. And, you know, we, uh, I wouldn't say we had hundreds of close Spanish friends, but there was a core, perhaps a dozen maybe, wow. who, just were really integral in our adaptation and would ac- and accepted us and uh, so and they've been people that we uh, not all twelve not all, all the, that number but a, yeah yeah a significant number we're still in contact with and so I think the relationships and the richness of being able to learn how another culture functions because it's so different. I mean, there are similarities with Australia. It's a first world nation. It's not third mm. world like, uh, you know, we're, we're similar in that way economically. And But um, there's so many differences as well. And to be able to, uh, it, it was just enriching for us, you know, to, to have that God gave us that opportunity and experience to, yeah. So, and there was all and other things like going to football matches with some other Spanish friends and, yeah, you know, very passionate for football. I know yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, to be in Spain, you to be able to connect, you've got to. And I really intentionally tried to do that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, there you yeah. go. So 12, 12 and a half years, you decided to come back to Australia. Mm. Uh, usually, people say that there's actually a reverse culture shock that potentially could could happen. Did you experience that once you came back from Spain? I've got here my notes, absolutely, with okay. um, in capital letters. <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, and that's a whole interesting thing with uh, in missions with preparing people to go overseas. You you know, I think typically we train people well, we mm-hmm. being mission agencies across the board. We prepare people for culture shock. You know, it's going to be different and, yeah, there's another language and all this, you know, take time and you'll get there. So, but... Conversely, there's probably not been a, much emphasis on the reverse culture shock because okay. maybe there's been that sense of, well, you're going home, so, you know, just look forward to that and it'd be great to be back with everybody. And But the longer you've been away, it's actually the worst thing that someone can say to you and the worst thing that they said to us was, it must be great to be home. Mm. And because I really struggled with re-entry, it wasn't great to be home. It wasn't home for me. It was, it was this country that had, in some ways, had moved on. In other ways, hadn't. I'd certainly changed and moved on. Relationships were different. Um, uh, finding my identity. I mean, ultimately, my identity was and still is in Christ. Mm. At the same time, there's you have an identity in the culture that you're in. And I didn't have that because I'd formed that in another country. Yeah. It all sound, this all sounds a bit, and for those listening, you might think, 
sounds a bit dramatic and, you know, perhaps not, how could that be? But it was definitely a reality for me. Um, just And also um, there was a cert- certain level of grief at leaving behind uh, what we'd left, like the friends and, and the lifestyle. So, you know, that was part of the re-entry of, of working through that. And also um, part of the working through was some of the things in the last three to four years that we were dealing with in leadership were really tough and processing those out of the situation um, hit me afresh. And again, that perfectionism that I mentioned before kicked yeah. in. It was, it was not a healthy thing because I was thinking, oh, if I had have done that, then that might have turned out differently. I second-guessed myself a lot and yeah. I'm, I think I'm getting better with that. But, yeah, that was all part of it. So um, long story short, I actually fell into a depression, you know, after – a few months of just what am I doing here? Um, so back, I, you're back in Australia. You're home. I know, country, I know, right? You, How crazy is that? You you will think that happens the other way around when you go to a new country. But you're saying when you came back, know, you fell totally. into depression. So and and looking at that now, I'm thinking because you know I'm much better now. I'm thinking, how did that all? How did that happen? But it did, and it meant that I needed uh, some time. My myself and family, we needed some time out. Um, okay. We were to take up a role here. About six months after we came back, we were to take up the leadership of, of Work Australia. But clearly, I was not in a right good place for that. So the, the leadership quite wisely at the time suggested, hey, you guys just need time out. Just stop. Just pause. No agenda. Yep. Um, up to a year. I was very gracious of them, uh, very wise of them, which we did. So we were in Sydney at that time and they said, you know, go back to Tassie where you've got some support. and Yeah. And we did that. I got some help, uh, medical help, and uh, began to improve. And um, the, the year was really healing in many ways. And so we were able to come back to Sydney at the end of that year in a much, mm. much better place. So, yeah, that's another story. It's a whole yeah. No, if, if you don't mind, I actually just, just want to touch a bit um, yeah, sure. about that because I, I know that, you know, ministry is hard and you talk about that culture shock coming back. But one of the things that I – and I could be, yeah, like, I, I don't want to be, how do I say, I want to be careful how I say this, but one of the things that um, before, and it's become more open now, is that what people say is that, you know, well, mental illness, you know, that's, that's you know, that, that has happened to Christians because we've got God or so, like, maybe oh. there's this stigma about it, oh. but, you know, you've just went to another country, you obeyed, you listened, you went to Spain, you came back. Uh, you fell into depression. Like, what, what were your thoughts there? Like, did you ever disregard it and say, "Look, that can't be. I, I can't have a mental illness, or shouldn't be having this because you know I've been so good to God." Yeah, what was the process behind that? Mm, very good question. <laughs> uh, gosh, uh, there was a bit of shame that I felt, especially when I was told I needed medication because mm. I thought, "Oh man, I'm a basket case." You know, only. Um, people who just at the bottom of the bottom have to go through this and well actually I was so <laughs> that's why I was needing to have some medicated uh, help so there was there was that that was self-imposed shame it wasn't from mm-hmm. anyone else um, mental health yes absolutely and uh, I never felt had that God had abandoned me or that even I'd abandoned him I was still because I'm fairly routine and structured I, I was still having times with God but at the same time there was to be honest with you they were pretty lifeless I was reading God's okay. word but 
because I had no joy in my spirit, because I was just completely emotionally exhausted, I, yeah, there was just, there was just no life there really in my, in my times with God. But I'm thankful that they were, they did continue because that meant mm. I didn't lose that rhythm. Um, so just that routine, you just kept at it, even though it was lifeless. You'd yeah, kind of... I wouldn't say it was as regular as it could have been, but it was mm. still there. So, yep. so I didn't feel like God. And look, as I came out of the dark tunnel um, and, and just reading about some of those heroes of the faith and, and people in like Elijah in the Old Testament, he was um, a bit of a hero for me mm. um, in that he had that experience on Mount Carmel with that amazing with the prophets of Baal and, you know, that victory there. And then mm. and then not long after he was Queen Jezebel at the time just chased him and just got after That's him right. and just ran away and, he, and it's like hid under a tree and just wanted to die. Now, I didn't That's want right. to die, but I was pretty low and I really identified with Elijah yep. um, and the God speaking in that small, um, small still voice uh, was, was my experience too. And, you know, not to undermine all, discount either support of my mm. wife and family that was tr- incredible um yeah so i mean she went through it in a different way to me because she was holding it together yeah and so yeah so it's a whole it's a whole dynamic there that's yeah a bit crazy as i look back on it now but i'm so thankful for it because um in the role that we're in now just as we receive people coming in who might have had difficult experiences maybe some mental health or depression it's mm. not. It's not cause for just no. See you later. We don't want to touch you. You know, you're a mm. mess. Because <laughs> yeah. hey, I've been there. So that's right. Um, and I've got a story of God's healing, and it's been a, a privilege to kind of share that at different opportunities. And and as I did when I got better, and I started to share, like I preached that Elijah kind of story. It's amazing yeah. the number of people that came up and said, "Wow, I am." Um, I, my brother or my husband or so, or they're going through, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, once maybe a taboo topic, but I think now the church is quite rightly talking more about it. And That's right. Realizing, hey, this is really a serious issue that church needs to, to respond to in a godly and caring way. Um, and look, every situation is different, but we can't ignore it. No, that's right. Well, look, thank you for your honesty. Thank you so much. That's, uh, yeah. yeah, helpful. And I'm sure, you know, there might be a listener, one or two or more that, you know, can uh, resonate with that. Okay. So you came back from Spain. You took kind of six months off. Uh, you still, and then after six months, you, you know, you went back with WEC instead of working with them here in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, so the six months actually turned into 18 months because oh, had, okay. it was meant to be six and then yep. we were the kick into this role but then it was clear with the health that we needed yeah. an extra 12 so okay. kind of 18 months from the time we arrived back yep. to the time of actually officially starting mm-hmm. this role so that was yeah. the start of 2015 that 2015. We so, so what is your new role what, what do you do here um, yeah, yeah. Funny. Uh, to think of it as a uh, it's not so much a new role now so this is our seventh year in so okay being national directors yeah how do we describe that? Gosh, it's um very much uh, it's a pastoral role. It's also a role where we uh, are assisting our team leaders to equip them, to empower them in their roles. Um, Work Australia has eight teams in the country. So we're about, um, about 75 home staff who have been overseas, who have returned and who want to continue with the mission. And we 
plug them into a team that's appropriate to their gifting. So yeah. our role is not to do everything, but to help our leaders to then equip them. So there's a lot of um, meetings. We have a lot yeah. of meetings connecting with our team leaders, um, but also um, where there are opportunities to practically connect in with new people being prepared for mission work um, yeah. through their training here in Sydney. And, uh, yes, um, travel to other states when pre-COVID. Um, yeah, that's true. That'll kick off again, kick off again sometime soon. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of admin, but there's still a lot of face-to-face, which is um, I'm thankful for. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so has it changed from like I know you've been doing this role for about seven years now, but even when you got trained all those years ago, mm. training new missionaries or helping missionaries today has that changed over the last five, ten, fifteen years? And if so, how? Yeah, good question again. Yes, it has changed. One thing that comes to mind is um, being trained in Australia, you know, we're becoming more and more multicultural. So when we trained back in 99, it, it was good training, really good training. It was more classroom-based though. Okay. Now there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, learning some, say, church planting principles or mission principles. And okay, let's go and practice, let's go and put these to practice in the community. Let's head to Western Sydney or yep. somewhere, you know, there are um, different multicultural suburbs and try this out, you know, and meet some people just to get your feet wet, as it were, here before you head overseas. And yeah, I, so yeah. I think that's really developed. And I know WEC's not alone in that. Other okay. organisations are really um, stepping that up. That's that's I interesting. That's, yeah, I, did, I didn't know that. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's a, it's a great thing um, to be able to because, you know, if somebody is struggling um, relating to someone from another culture, yeah, maybe overseas isn't for them, you know, but uh-huh. it's only if they get an opportunity to try that at here. Yeah, yeah. That they know that, you know, that, anyway, that's probably oh, one of the reasons that that's been implemented. Yeah, no, fantastic. And so... Your heart, uh, just from talking to you before, I know you're very passionate to reach uh, people who don't know Jesus, reach the unreached people and kind of give them a voice and share with them the good news. Like really that should be every every Christian's goal and aim, right? But for you, I would say it's probably that extra, extra passion. Like what, why is that? What's got your, you know, what, uh, that fire burning inside yourself for that? Well, when I do research and hear statistics that a third of our global population still has not heard the name of Jesus and, and that, that name for me means everything and he's the, we're coming up to Easter, aren't we, and yeah. recognising once again just the sacrifice that he made um, and even if it, for, had it been, if it were for me alone, he would still have gone through what he did and, of course, it wasn't just for me but for the world. And yet, you know, um, a third of the world's population statistically Mm. uh, haven't heard of this name of Jesus. Um, So that drives me to be able to, well, at least present that reality. And then secondly, the challenge to, to at the very least, have people interceding and praying for those people groups that are, uh, you know, and when I say haven't heard of the name of Christ, you know, Many times they're people groups that are in bondage spiritually and perhaps idolatry is a big part, spirits, the spirit world, and there's a lot of heavy stuff that we, I don't think we really understand in our country. 
because we're we're just we're diff- we're you know we're, we're, there are differences there. But um, so yeah, like that's, what shouldn't that drive everybody to to see well what part can can I play? Even if I'm not one to go to a country or to a people group, maybe yeah. for whatever reason this is not possible. What part am I playing? You know, um, and there's a part for everybody. Uh, so that's yeah, and look, and I think that's. That's awesome that you you picked at that because I think a lot of people, you know, especially if they're serious about their faith, they say, okay, well, they just assume that you know potentially if God's calling you, you can't you'd be called to go to another country, which is great if that's you know that feeling. But mm. most people don't get called to go to another country. Mm. So how should they balance that of not feeling too guilty, but also understanding they should really pay a part in that? Yeah. Sorry, this is off the cuff. Uh, mm. If you can answer it, that'd be great. Mm. So, so sorry. The question being, um, how should they respond if they're not someone who? Yeah. So, for mm. example, someone lives in Sydney. You know, yeah. you know, mid twenties, loves Jesus, passionate, but mm. understands that there are. I think you said a third of people who mm. haven't heard the name of Jesus. Mm. What should be their response then? Like, mm. I think yeah. The, yeah, it's a very good question. I, I think at the the very least, just an awareness of a world out there. Yep. Um, again, we can become so trapped in our own world and that's understandable in some ways you know we, we get busy in our life and uh, I know when I have the opportunity to share about this say in different churches you know some sometimes I get the sense of these blank looks and is you know what is he talking about you know <laughs> I'm here in my um, comfortable Sydney life and I've got my yep. job and you know don't talk to me about it. Oh, I'm okay all right so you know mm. often there's that that push not pushback but that and I could be wrong, but that's what I do sense sometimes. So, yeah, what's the part for them? Awareness. But also, um, uh, if not adopting a people group or a missionary, at least uh, making an effort to connect in. I mean, I'm sure they, okay. through their church, they're probably going to know somebody or some heard of some country that that they, uh, through their attempt to be more self-aware, could uh-huh. then take it the next step and, okay, well, let me find out more about this. This what are their needs, and how can I be praying for them? Maybe supporting financially. There are some people who God's blessed with, you know, some good, good jobs, and and materially they're, they're doing well. Um, you know, missionaries are not paid; they live by faith, so that can be that can be a struggle for some. Yeah. and the the blessing that is to uh, to give is something. Um, that goes under, I think, is underestimated by some people. So, mm. yeah, there's a financial aspect too, but certainly prayer and awareness. Yeah. I, I hope that answers yeah. that question. No, it yeah. does. No, it's good. It, that's really good. And uh, look, to kind of finish off this interview, uh, the flip side, so I just, I just asked you a question about someone who, you know, is very comfortable, you know, in their life, they're Christian, they love Jesus, but they're comfortable and ask you, you know, what, what's the response? Now, my, my other question is, okay, what if you have someone who's saying, actually, I think the Holy Spirit is, is you know, working within me, potentially they're considering to go into ministry, potentially overseas or, or, or stuff like What would you say to them? What's one advice or one thing that they should be doing? Mm. have conversations with people they trust you know if there's someone who's plugged into a church talk to your pastor talk to a, a wise respected friend just to start that conversation going ask them you know do you see the similar thing in me that i'm feeling in myself you know mm. don't be you know that 
you open yourself up to possible um, uh, honest responses, but yep. that's what you want to hear. You know, there are times when I know I've idealised about things that are just not for me and I've needed people to say, hang on, Steve, you know, really. But so, so the conversations and, and look, you know, next step is to, um, you know, look on the net, you know, do some searches for if it's a particular area that you're interested in as in um, profession, maybe you want to use your profession or if okay. it's a country, Google yep. that, you know, look at who's, what agencies are working there and, and, you know, email them, chat to them, um, give them a call. And yeah, yeah. They, like, you know, we love to meet with people, have a coffee for, and have those conversations and there's nothing that gives us more joy. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Now, look, I'm going to give WEC free promotion here. So if they, if they, if they, if they want to know more, uh, web, website, what's the website or an email or something? Uh, www.wec.com.au. Yes, um, sure. And very happy to chat to anybody. We have other people here who can, you know, connect in as well. So Yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. Look, thank you so much for your time, Steve. Thanks, I, uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Well, that's the interview. And uh, for me, I think that was very, very helpful just in regards to getting a perspective of what it means to be a missionary in a foreign country. Now, there are a lot of things there that uh, potentially you got out of it. But for me personally, uh, I love the fact of how he really focused on building relationships and connecting with others. He knew that he was going to a different country. He had to learn the language. His obviously primary goal was to tell others about Jesus. But to do that properly, he needed to really build relationships with others. He needed to invest a little bit more in his friendship and connecting with them and just understand them on their level. And that for me is important, not just in Spain or in Europe or you know, going to whatever country to become a missionary, but for all those who say, look, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. We need to understand that building relationships, connecting with others is so important. And a lot of times, you know, we can tell others about Jesus, um, you know, very quickly. You know, maybe we don't know them for too long and we can share with them. But I think to have these relationships that are long lasting, um, you know, it's really important to build friendships and, and relationships and connect with them just, you know, on, on different levels. Now, for me, you know, the question that I want to ask you and I want you to think about is, okay, well, who is the person that you need to connect with? Who is the person that you need to build a relationship or potentially a stronger relationship with just so you can share the gospel with them? Before I finish, I want to remind you, if you found this episode or any other episodes helpful, uh, please feel free to share it on uh, social media or just to share it with your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you guys next time.